Jamil and I live overseas full time, um, and that's just something I could never have thought about. And so, one of the many ways that Grace has uh, been a part of my life is through challenging me to follow uh, in the footsteps of Jesus. And how it's possible that we're even in Greece is because of the support of our church. Um, you know, we raise our own salary, and it's because of Grace and the people in the church who came around us and said, "We, as a church, we want to send you um, as individuals and as as the church." I called a friend um, to ask, you know, him to consider partnering with us, and he was like, "You know, um, no matter where I am financially, I always have this list of people that if they call, then I will make, I will fix things, I will work it out, and I will give to them." He did that for us. He's like, "I'll, you know." not watch Netflix this year and just give to you guys. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's so convicting and so encouraging and all these things. When you go through things like that and you're receiving it, you realize you want to be that person for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to just take that blessing from the Lord and hoard it for yourself. You know, you want to, to pass that on. Grace has been uh, such a vital role in multiplication and mobilization in College Station. And so we're excited to see that um, happen in uh, Brian, we're, we're excited to see that happen uh, overseas. Um, we're excited to see that happen in other areas um, of Texas or even the United States. Uh, we, we cannot wait to see what the Lord is going to do through Grace Bible Church um, on, a grander, on a grander scale. Church, let's pray together. Father, I, I pray that it would be said of us uh, for us to live as Christ and to die as gain. I pray, Father, that we would be people who give all to Jesus. And I pray that even as we're together worshiping and in your word this morning, that your spirit would speak directly, personally, individually, in a really powerful way to each and every one of us. Stir our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. So we are continuing this morning with our uh, Every Knee series. If, uh, if you brought your book with you, please turn it to page 48. If you didn't get one of those, you can grab one on the way out and uh, uh, I'd ask you to go ahead and read through it during the week. There's study questions throughout. If you're a parent and you kind of want to get a sense of what your kid's church is into, then you can grab one of those. We printed some extra for you to see where we're going. But let me, uh, let me give you just a quick summary. Uh, anything we've got, the v- sermon from last week, video from last week, and some of the study materials you can find on that website, everyknee.org. But th- the point of this series that we're going into is ultimately about us bending the knee before Jesus Christ. The primary goal is that every single one of us would give all that we are and all that we have to Jesus Christ. That we would hold nothing back whatsoever. That we would be fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. All that we have and all that we are. And that secondarily, we would be a church that provides that for others. That we would be a church that is generous and giving, always focused outward. That we would continue to multiply, right? Not just in our own lives, that we would be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly and courageously, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it may cost us. That we would be investing in making disciples of the people around us, but also as a church that we would be multiplying. So our goal is, in the next two years, to get the Creekside Church built and paid for completely. So there is no debt, so that Creekside can jump in with Anderson and Southwood and continue to multiply the church in the community and throughout the world. As we said last week, you know, you, you probably noticed that uh, this community is growing like crazy and the church needs to be established in different areas where there are no churches that are clearly pre- preaching the gospel and have a vision for multiplication. So within the next two years, we want to identify that fourth site and begin work to plant that campus. But we also want to do that 
in the United States, find a university town where no churches are going after the campus, and to continue to do that internationally. We have three strategic partnerships internationally. We want to find that fourth in the next couple of years. And it, you know, it's, it's, a big, it's a big vision that we feel like God has laid on our hearts. And uh, it's, it's really stretching. And as we said in the intro video, it's a, little bit, it's a little bit spooky, but at the same time exciting. And one of the ways that you can uh, really communicate, I guess I would say, to the leadership of this church is through that commitment card. Uh, as I said last week, it's not a pledge card. No one's going to knock on your door and ask you, did you fulfill your pledge or not fulfill your pledge? That's not what it's about. I, I won't see those cards, and our elders won't see those individual cards. But what we'll get back from our finance department is the, the big number. Have we listened to the Lord as we think we have? Have we, have we heard his voice? And it may be that the exact number for what we need to accomplish this vision comes in, or it may be that something less comes in, and we have to step back in humility and say, Lord, maybe we didn't hear your voice, and we need to think differently. Or, as I'm hopeful and expect, more will come in than we expected, and God will allow us to multiply churches in even greater ways throughout this community and throughout the world. So uh, I would ask you, don't fill out the card yet. Right, we're going to invite you to, to turn in that card on May 6th. Um, we'll have a, a commitment Sunday. If you're really super excited and you want to come, we're going to have a special praise and worship service on uh, April 27th, 6.30 p.m. But uh, I've already had some folks come up and you know, they're like, oh man, I'm, I'm in. I'm all in, completely in, and they're ready to uh, turn in that card and say, this is what we feel like God's calling us to do in the next couple of years. And I say, don't, don't do anything with it right now. I just want you to just pray. And seek the Lord and ask discernment. I had another buddy, his son is 16, he just got a job, and he, he heard the message last week, and he went home, and he just opened up his computer, he said, Dad, I need to re-give, redo all of my giving, and his dad said, close your computer, and don't do anything, just pray. Because ultimately, this is, it's just about our hearts, but it's just about our hearts. And what I really want us to do as a church is wrestle with where our hearts are before the Lord. And last week we introduced this question. Why should we become generous and joyful givers? Why should we long to give? It's not because God needs our money, correct? God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. He created absolutely everything in the universe. But what he wants is your heart, and he wants my heart, and he wants all of your heart, and he wants all of my heart. And so the first reason that we should long to become generous and joyful givers is because ultimately this is an act of worship and God is worthy of our worship. The Apostle Paul describes uh, the generosity of the Philippian believers as incense. It's this fragrant aroma that goes up before the, the, the face of God and he delights in it, he smiles in it. Why? Because he needs what we have to offer? No. But because it's evidence that our hearts are fully given over to the cause of making the name of Jesus Christ known in the world. And God's worthy of that. And the second reason that we want to talk about this morning is this. Because generous and joyful giving is an investment in eternity. This is how we invest in eternity. Or if I can say it differently, because you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Okay? You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. So, the question that I want to ask you this morning as we begin is uh, simply this. Do you want to get rich? Okay, go ahead, raise your hand. Would you like to be rich? Thank you. Well, there are a few honest people. Let me say it differently. Do you want to be poor? 
who wants who wants, says my goal in life is it is poverty it's abject poverty anybody no of course not you're not, not going to raise your hand but you were you know trying to not show your soul and say yeah I want to be rich right no really I just want something kind of in between I don't want to be poor but I don't want to be rich I want to be just right which and just right is clearly more than I have right now <laughs> right yeah you, you want to be wealthy. Now the good news this morning is God wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to be wildly wealthy forever. And the Bible tells you exactly how to do that. So aren't you glad you came this morning to hear this message? A few years back, about 12 years ago, honestly, I did a a sermon. uh, The title was uh, Get Rich Quick and Stay Rich Forever. And that was our, uh, our most often listened to message in the entire history of Grace Bible Church. So I know, you wanted to raise your hand. So how do you get rich quick, stay rich forever? How do you do it? What's the key to enduring wealth? Uh, well, I'm going to start by telling you that uh, it's, not, it's not Beanie Babies. And this, is not, this is not the formula for wealth. Although, in the 90s, there were thousands of Americans who thought this was the greatest investment idea ever. A guy named Ty Warner invented Beanie Babies, and, you know, obviously he's half decent at creating these designs, but he was even better at controlling supply and promoting his product to increased demand. So he would always run each of these in a, in a pretty limited supply, right? Uh, particularly given the price point. He was off, uh, selling these for like five bucks and so at $5, the demand was, was really, really high. I remember uh, that there would be lines out the door when, when he would do a new release. Because he would, he would do you know, a new design, just kind of one after another. And he would uh, release a, a limited number, and people would line up outside Toys R Us or you know, Kita's Hallmark. You'd see lines out the door, people just clamoring to get in. And then they would be sold out, so, you know, especially these limited edition kind of things. Like we've got one here. The Ronald, USS Ronald Reagan, limited edition. They ran out. And so people would buy these for $5, walk out the door, and they could sell it for 10 or 15 or $20. There was even uh, an investment guide that was created for Beanie Babies. Right? This is Stripes the Tiger. His issue price was $5, but in 1998, three years later, uh, Stripes was selling for $250. And his estimated value in 2008 was $1,000. Well, of course, why would you not invest in, in Beanie Babies? Or what a return on your investment. There's one family in particular, the Robinson family. They, they took out uh, their, their savings, $100,000 in savings, and invested it in, I say that loosely, invested it in Beanie Babies so that they could pay. They had five sons, and they wanted to pay for their son's college Career, so they took hundred thousand dollars. They bought twenty thousand Beanie Babies, and then you know what happened to the market of Beanie Babies? It just completely tanked. So they now have a garage full of twenty thousand Beanie Babies, and no money. Right? That hundred thousand dollars, it's gone. Now, if they had if they had known that the market in Beanie Babies was going to crash. They would have exchanged this Beanie Baby currency for better currency, right? They would have switched the investment maybe to Facebook or into Apple or Bitcoin, right? Something really stable and secure. (laughs) 
And, and if they timed it right, they would have made a, made a killing. But they didn't. They didn't, and they lost all of the value. Now, if you have your Bibles in front of you, please turn to Luke chapter 12, because Jesus tells a beanie baby, baby parable. In Luke chapter 12, in verse 13. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And then he told them a parable. And he's going to tell them a wisdom parable. It's really a cautionary tale against greed, but also for wealth. It's not just a cautionary tale against something. It's not just negative. It is for the right kind of wealth at the right time in the right manner. So he goes on, verse 16. He told them this parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, and so far, so good. Right? So far, so good. This is probably... The same strategy that we might receive today from an investment counselor. That's really well. Good. You know, you're, you're earning a lot of money. Your land is very productive. It's wise to save and to put things away and to store up your wealth and, and enjoy that, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. But there's one thing he didn't take into account. Verse 20. God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself... And is not rich toward God. Here's the point of the parable. You can't take it with you. You can't take any of it with you. Notice, Jesus is not saying that it is a bad idea to save. (laughs) It's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is simply that uh, it's bad to be invested only in this life. In fact, if you read the book of Proverbs, it is commended that we save. The ant is praised because the ant is storing up when it can store up, and then it's got uh, produce, it's got things that it can eat throughout the difficult seasons. That's wisdom. What Jesus is saying is it's foolish, though, to invest only in this life because all of the wealth that you have here in this life will eventually be gone. You cannot take it with you. And there are three reasons. First, because earthly treasures, all earthly treasures, do fade away, it is inevitable. Proverbs chapter 23 reads like this. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. You just can't hold on to it. It's going to be like water running through your fingers. Whether it's uh, an accident or illness or the market in your Beanie Babies crashes, right? It just... just, it's ephemeral. Remember when early when Tristy and I were married, first several years, we'd saved up a nice little nest egg, and a friend of mine came along, and he had an investment opportunity, and it was truly amazing. Truly. Almost too good to be true. That good, right? 
a couple of years you invest, your, your money is going to double. And so I came home, I told Tristy about this, said, I think we need, to put, we need to put all our savings into this thing. This is amazing. A couple of years, we're going to double our savings. And we had, we had $10,000 in savings. I'm like, I was, and you know, the, looking back, like that's not normally how my personality, I'm not really that impulsive, but man, I was, I was in, I was sold. It was, this is, this is so amazing. And I'm like, honey, I think we need to put all $10,000 in. And she goes, uh, can we just do five? And she's like, oh, kind of cautious, whatever. And I go, well, okay. I think that's a really bad idea because we're just going to miss out on all of this return on our investment. We should put all 10,000 in but okay, we'll just put five in. So we just put $5,000 into that investment. You know how much we made on that $5,000? We made negative $5,000, right? We lost, we lost everything. And we, we learned, like, we had just put it in, and it was just a matter of, like, a couple of weeks later, and then, uh, then a month later, and our friend came and said, well, it's not looking really good. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. You know, and I kept asking years later. I even ran into that friend a few years ago. I said, has that turned around? <laughs> It's, not, it's gone. Wealth has wings. Wealth has wings. Like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. You cannot take it with you because earthly treasures fade away. Moth and rust corrupt, as Jesus said. Thieves break in and steal. Disease, famine, hail. Markets crash. Second, because you will fade away. It's not a very pleasant thing to think about this morning, but it's just reality. So let's, let's, let's address it. Let's think about that. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote, As he, this is the, the man who had hoarded all of this wealth for himself, as he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. Or as Job said, Naked I came into the world, naked I shall leave. Job and Ecclesiastes are both part of wisdom literature. This is just wisdom. Wealth fades, we fade. There was supposedly a conversation between two men uh, that was overheard by a third when Howard Hughes uh, passed away. He was a billionaire. At that point in time, one of the wealthiest men in the world. And one man asked the other, he said, uh, how much did he leave behind? And his friend responded, all of it. (laughs) All of it. He left all of it behind. As they say, right, there's no U-Hauls behind the hearse. You cannot take with you because you fade away. Even if you can postpone that point, right? There is a point when each of our lives, it will end. We know that. And even if you can postpone it, that postponement, it's just, it's just a vapor, right? It's just a breath. It's just a, such a short period of time. I want to read to you from the book of Psalms, chapter 39. Verse 4, David writes, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as hand breaths, that is, about nine inches. And my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches, and he does not know who will gather them. I memorized those verses in college because I thought, Lord, let me get this lesson before it's too late to really absorb and apply this to my life. Let let me grasp how very fleeting life is in light of eternity. 
Psalm 90 is the only psalm written by Moses, and he said this, So teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Lord, teach us to live today in light of eternity. Teach us to understand and really apply to our lives the principle that this life is just a vapor. It's just a tiny dot as compared to all of eternity. Lord, Lord, let us live in that manner. I had a friend who was a great disciple maker, and one of the the exercises he would do is he would take all of his guys to a cemetery. And at the cemetery, he would have them walk around. He said, just make observations. What do you see? They would all gather back and say, there's one thing that you see on every single one of these gravestones. Did you notice what it was? It's the dash. And that's your life. You're born, you die. The dash, that little dash, that's your life. That's all of your life. That's what you get on this earth. You're fading. Treasures are fading. So don't invest completely in this place. But then there's a third reason that Jesus mentions, and that is because Jesus himself will return. In other words, you might postpone life, your, your passing for a period of time, but it could be that tomorrow Jesus says, I'm ready. Right? If our eschatology is correct, at any point in time, Jesus could return and set end times events in motion just like that. Are you ready for that moment? Look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 35. After telling the parable, Jesus uh, makes uh, some, draws some lessons with further parables. Verse 35, he says, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he knocks and when he, when he comes and when he knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself and serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. They don't know when he's coming, but they should be alert. They should be ready. As soon as he knocks, the door is open because they're standing right there. And then Jesus says, you know, because of their alertness and their readiness and their eagerness to receive him, he will actually say to his slaves, why don't you sit down and let me serve you? He goes on, verse 39, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. It could be right now. I mean, literally, we might not walk out of here this morning. Just think about that. We might not get to finish this worship service this morning. Because Jesus could return at any moment. Verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us? <laughs> or to everyone else as well? And Jesus, of course, doesn't answer his question directly. The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. So, your investments will fade. You will fade. Jesus could return at any moment. In other words, uh, your wealth will leave you or you will leave your wealth. It's just that simple. So then we wrestle and we say, okay, then how much should I save? Because Proverbs does say to save. That's wise and prudent. And how much should I share? How much should I give away? The answer is, I don't know what you should do. That's ultimately going to be between you and the Lord. But I can tell you this, if you live for and love wealth here on this earth, you will miss out on life itself. 
Read with me again, chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Jesus is saying, this isn't life. This isn't all of life. And if you set your heart on it, you will miss out. You will, in fact, make yourself miserable. Look at verse 22. Jesus said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. But if you set your mind on it, if you set your heart on it, if this is where your treasure is, you know what the result will be? Worry. That's the theme, actually, here. Verse 22, do not worry. Verse 25, which of you by worrying? Verse 26, why do you worry? Verse 29, do not keep worrying. Why? Because if you set your heart on it, and this is where all of your wealth is, you're going to see things happening around you that make you wake up and realize, I can't hold on to it. (laughs) And you will be anxious constantly. If you love it, you will miss out. So, your wealth cannot transcend this life, right? It can't go through that portal of the grave into eternity. Earthly wealth can't, can't do that. You can't take it with you. So what does go through that portal? What, what is it that, that transcends? Well, it's, it's people. It's just people. Uh, C.S. Lewis is uh, probably my favorite essay that he wrote. It's called The Weight of Glory. And he said this. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. He said, nations, civilizations, arts, all, the, all these things, all the earth. It's temporal, it's, it's ethereal. It'll be gone. But he said, people, people are immortal. And God consequently values people because people are made in his image. And as a result, God invested his greatest treasure in people. God's greatest treasure is Jesus. Father, Son, and Spirit living in perfect relationship of love for all of eternity. The Father, Son, and Spirit agreed together. We're willing to sacrifice that to invest in what we treasure which is people. And that's the beauty of the gospel, men and women, that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not be perished, be separated from him and endure forever a life separated from him, but instead would have eternal life just by believing. And I want to encourage you, if you have never received that gift of the riches of Jesus Christ for yourself, do that this morning. Don't think about your generosity toward others. Don't, don't just pause on that whole idea. Because first what you need to do is receive from God. He gave his greatest treasure, Jesus, for you. So that you could have that debt of sin removed forever, fully, finally, completely, and not live in fear, not live in anxiety and worry. Instead, you could just receive the gift of Jesus and say, my debt's removed. I have eternal life. And I want to encourage you, today could be that day. Today could be that moment. We, we uh, In the intro video, we captured a testimony of one young woman who was actually sitting in the worship service, right, when finally the Spirit broke through and it dawned on her. This is what life is about. It's about living forever with Jesus. And I can begin that moment now. And I want to encourage you, maybe today, that's your moment. If God so loved the world, 
And he said, this is what truly matters. This is what's truly valuable. Wouldn't we be wise to invest in the same? It's just people. So what is Jesus' point? You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can exchange the currency of this world for a currency that lasts forever. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, stop storing up treasures. What he says is, stop making bad investments. He doesn't say, don't store up. He says, just don't make bad investments. So if I could summarize Jesus' uh, teaching on money and wealth, it would be this. It's called enlightened self-interest. Okay? It's enlightened self-interest. You are self-interested. And what I mean by that is you will always be motivated to pursue what you think is best for you. Don't feel guilty about it. <laughs> it's just how human beings are put together. You will always pursue what you feel like is best for you. Now, that's not the same as selfishness. Selfishness means I pursue what's best for me at the expense of others. Self-interest simply means I'm going to pursue what I believe is best for me. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you what is actually best for you. In fact, Jesus is going to command us to store up treasures. But he's going to say, store up treasures at that point of intersection where what's best for you gives God the most glory and does the greatest good for others. That's where I want you to invest yourself. And so, in fact, in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, just this little section here, he talks about reward and treasure ten times. Jesus is not against treasure. Jesus is not against wealth. Jesus wants you to be wealthy in the right way, at the right time, forever. This is enlightened self-interest. So, interestingly, the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippian believers the same idea. He says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Paul says, I am so grateful that you gave to my ministry, but really, God doesn't need your money, and I don't need your money, and someone else can step in. That's not a big deal. But what I really long for, because I love you, is I want to see that profit increase to your account. I want you to get a great return on your investment. I want you to experience that reward. So, how do I do it? How do I store up treasure in heaven? It's an interesting uh, short verse here. In Luke chapter 16, verse 9, Jesus says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, this is basically the summary of another parable that Jesus told. It's the parable of the unjust steward. The steward was uh, squandering his master's resources, and as a result, he was going to lose his stewardship. So what he did is he went around to all the people who owed his master money, and he said, what, you own you owe 100 measures of wheat, write down 50, right? You owe 300 measures of oil, write down 50. Just knock it down, knock it down, knock it down, so that when he was put out of the stewardship, he would have friends who would take care of him. And even his master, he didn't praise his unrighteousness, but he goes, wow, that was pretty sharp. And Jesus says, now, I, I want you to understand that the people in this world, they're wiser in the use of earthly resources than you are, of your resources. So here's what I want you to do. 
Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. And what he means by wealth of unrighteousness is just worldly wealth, earthly wealth. That's the wealth of unrighteousness. So that when it fails, not if it fails, because it will fail, your beanie babies that you love will not be as valuable tomorrow as they are today. When it fails, they will welcome you into their eternal dwellings, right? Make friends for yourself. That is, invest your earthly wealth in helping people find and follow Jesus. Because someday you will enter into eternity and they will come out to greet you. Remember, this is ancient Near Eastern hospitality is the background. Jesus talked about it. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And those who have a prepared place will want to welcome others into their home. And we enter into eternity. And those that we have invested in, we've invested in ministries where people uh, hear the gospel and churches are planted. We have taken the time to sacrifice our time and we have our neighbors over for a meal and we spend money on that meal and we sacrifice so people can find and follow Jesus. We enter into eternity and they say, now come and, and feast with me. I know you have your own place to get to and you have lots of questions, but come, let's have a party together because I'm so grateful. I'm here because of your investment. Thank you. And they welcome you into their eternal dwellings. Now, a point of theology very quickly. As we said, God doesn't need your money and God will accomplish his work of redemption in every individual's life apart from our investment. But he has chosen to work through people. And so if it's not you, it's somebody else. And I say to myself, I don't want to be the one who misses out on this opportunity. That's why Paul says, I don't seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit that increases to your account. I don't want you to miss out on making eternal investments, right? Eternal dwellings with eternal friends for all of eternity, enjoying and celebrating, right? We invest wisely when we invest in people. So look at Matthew or Luke chapter 12 with me again, verse 32. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus says, Do not be afraid then, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you, to give you the kingdom. He has given you riches. Therefore, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where, there, where neither the moth destroys or the the thief breaks in and steals because where your treasure is there will your heart be also now one word i want you to focus on here in verse 33 is unfailing it means uh, inexhaustible the idea is this when you receive the treasure and then you enjoy the treasure the treasure doesn't disappear it's an eternal treasure it's an enduring treasure it's it's a lasting treasure as opposed to the treasures that you store up for yourself on earth that fade this is a treasure that endures. Now, let me, let me illustrate. Uh, any graduating seniors who joined us this morning? Okay, awesome. We got a couple. Uh, have you started receiving fundraising letters from Texas A&M yet? Okay, you will. And you're going you're gonna to open that first letter, and you're like, I, I haven't even graduated. I don't even have a job, right? And, and here they are, because uh, they, they, they want more from you, right? I mean, you've been writing checks, tuition checks, or your parents have. You've been uh, donating, so to speak, for quite a while. Uh, but you get these letters, and all of them will have the same theme. It's about legacy. Right? Leave a legacy for future students. And if you do really, really, really well, the greatest legacy that you can leave is you can get your name on a building at Texas A&M University. Right? That's why we're building more buildings at Texas A&M University, because somebody needs to leave a lasting, enduring legacy, right? Because buildings last forever. 
There are older buildings than Texas A&M in the world. Uh, I've gotten to travel to uh, Israel a couple times. Has anybody ever seen the, the temple in Jerusalem? Trick question, you have not. Because the temple is gone. You've seen the temple mount, but there is no temple. Uh, all that we actually have left from the temple that was built during Herod's time is uh, one pomegranate-shaped bell from the hem of the robe that the priest wore. That's it. Do you remember the disciples? They're walking through Jerusalem. They, they say, Jesus, look at this. This is pretty amazing, isn't it, Jesus? We need to, let's stop and admire this building. He goes, eh, whatever. You do realize it, it's just going to be torn down. It's just a building. It's, it's going to be gone. And it is gone. It doesn't exist any longer. That's a great earthly investment. It's gone. It's gone. But the treasure in heaven is an unfailing treasure. What's the treasure? What's the reward? Well, you know, it's really difficult to say exhaustively all that Jesus is talking about. Um, one thing is crowns. Jesus talks about crowns, and Paul talks about crowns. And I kind of go, crowns? I don't need any crowns. It doesn't motivate me. But you know what you do with your crowns in the book of Revelation? Is you take them and you throw them at Jesus' feet. Right? They're just fuel for worship. It's a depth of understanding of Jesus and intimacy with Jesus I get to pour back in my worship to him. And no one necessarily sees. I don't stack the crowns on my head because they're, right, they're inexhaustible. I just throw and then I throw and I throw and I'm just, I'm just caught up. It's a depth of worship that I get to experience. There's crowns, worship. There is a rulership. Jesus talks about it in parables. I'll, I'll put them in authority over many things. Uh, Book of Revelation, we're told we will be a kingdom priest to our God, will reign upon the earth. What I think that is, is is that's your your labor. Your satisfying, fulfilling labor that's consistent with how God has designed you, that's a reward forever. There's approval. We step into eternity and we see Jesus face to face and he goes, ah, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm glad you got it. I'm glad you were just sitting in that moment and all of a sudden you let the Spirit speak to you and you said, oh man, I need to invest in eternity, not just in time. i got to change my whole investment strategy. i got to figure this out. Well done, good and faithful servant. You lived wisely. But the ultimate reward Paul actually talks about here in 1 Thessalonians is people. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exultation or boasting? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. This is the same idea. They will welcome you into their eternal homes, Jesus says in the parable. Paul says, you're our crown, you're our boasting, you're our joy in the presence of the Lord. When he comes and he gathers all of us together, because what is it that God wants? He wants a family, and he's gathered his whole family together. And we have invested in one another's lives so that we could find Jesus and go deep in following Jesus and loving Jesus with our whole hearts. You're the reward and for me, and I'm the reward for you as we invest in each other's lives. That's just wisdom. That's just good investing. You remember the, uh, the parable in Luke 13? It's a real short parable. Jesus talks about a man. He's walking through a field, and he finds a treasure. And then he goes home, and he sells everything he has, and he buys the treasure, right? So you can just picture this. He's walking through a field. He's cutting a corner. He's got his staff, and he goes, thunk. Because that's unusual. That didn't sound like a rock. He begins to dig, finds a chest, opens it up, and it's just it's excessive wealth, more than he's ever seen in his life. So he buries it again. He runs home, and he sells everything. Right? He sells everything, all of his animals. He sells his land. He sells his house. 
Should we pity him for the sacrifice? No. I promise you, his friends praised him. They congratulated him because he did the only smart thing to do. Yeah, of course. You found a treasure beyond compare. Sell everything and go after that thing. It's not really a sacrifice. It's an opportunity. So how do we apply this? Uh, You know, as I've been uh, wrestling through this topic, I've kind of had to admit to myself that there are areas in my life that I am... um, I'm deeply invested in this world. So I've, I've got some treasures here, and, and consequently I love those treasures, and they're a little hard for me to, to let go. And what I need is I need God's Spirit to, to lift up my eyes. I need a, a change in perspective, right? Because I, I need to stop thinking about how valuable things are for a breath, for a moment, and think about, I need to think about eternity. I need to begin to think about everything that I have and all that I am in light of eternity. And, and not that it's bad to enjoy the blessings on earth. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. God's given us all things richly to enjoy. There, there's, there's an element in which part of our worship, too, is just enjoying these blessings. But if, I, but if I just invest here and I just love here, I'm really living foolishly because it doesn't last. And so what I need is God to, to begin to speak to me in terms of you know, my, my time, just not mine, and my my talents, my skills, the treasures that I own, the opportunities, my house, my car, my relationships, all of those, how could those more effectively be used for all of eternity and not just for the moment? So I want you to imagine for a moment, you, you, know, you get on a plane, and what do you do when you get on a plane to go somewhere? Well, if you're like me, I mean, the engines begin to whir, and before we've taken off, I take a nap. She just drives my wife crazy. <laughs> She's wired. There's people around, right? She's just getting all excited, and, and I'm asleep. You know, and then I'll wake up a little later and I might read a book or I might watch a movie. I might, you know, enjoy the soft drinks that they bring and, you know, the peanuts now that I have to pay for. I might, you know, so I'm, I'm enjoying this moment. But imagine if you're sitting there on the plane and you look across the aisle and there's somebody who, they're hanging curtains. Right? And then on the window, they're putting up pictures. And then they begin to unpack their bag and they're putting all of their clothes and their toiletries into the, the pouches here. And, and they pull out a little mini espresso maker and set it up on the tray. And you're like, dude, relax. You're not going to be on this thing very long. Right? You're not. You should be thinking about what you're going to do when you get to that destination. That's what you should be living for. Well, the same is true of us. If we're wise, we live for that day. We live this day for that day because that day is so much longer. I want to share with you 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as we close. It says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we learn to look, not not at the things simply that are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, teach us to be people who live for eternity and not just for time. Make us wise, and I pray that you'd stretch our hearts, our minds. Cause us to be willing to be changed by you. Enlighten our self-interest to invest in the things that truly matter. Father, I pray that uh, we just grow in wisdom. We see that 
The sacrifices that we make in this life, they're momentary, uh, they're small. We're sacrificing things that, uh, they're, just, they're vapor, they're wind, they're not lasting, but we can, but we can take those, those entrustments that you've given to us in this life and we can transfer them to eternity. We can invest in the lives of people around us so that they can know your son Jesus, so they can have life, you know, freedom from shame and guilt and sin. Father, I pray that you would inflame our hearts with a longing to see people know your son, live with him forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Uh, Remember, if you didn't grab a book last week, uh, get one on the way out. We'll see you next week.